I had lunch uh, with uh, someone that's been visiting our church, a young person uh, who is curious about you know, what goes on here and all that stuff. And so we're talking and he asked me, he said, what do you do all week? <laughs> I said, I just hang around, you know, go to Starbucks and have lunch with people like you. And I said, I got the best job in the world. I hardly ever work. Sunday morning, about an hour. It's easy. It's easy job. And of course, he thought I was telling him the truth. He said, man, how do I become a pastor? Well, it's, uh, I'm excited to uh, go back, and we're going to go back starting today with a, a look at the parables of Jesus. And so throughout, unless you think all I did was hang out and do nothing over the holidays, I actually spent lots of time really bearing down into the parables, trying to get ahead, looking at, at these amazing teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and what they mean. And let me, just, let me just remind you very quickly from last year, the end of last year, with the parables of Jesus before Advent started, Jesus said there's one parable that you need to understand in order to understand every parable. In other words, if you understand this one, you get them all. You can interpret every single parable in light of this parable. And He gave the parable of the sower sowing the seed and the seed going into the different kinds of soil. And we spent months talking about this, probably two months, uh, talking about what that means. And what it means is that Jesus Christ comes into this world, the King, the great King that everyone was expecting. But He comes not as a warrior. He comes as a sower of seed, a farmer. He comes in meekness. His kingdom is not one of warfare, of armies, of having troops. His kingdom is one of sowing seed. And His kingdom is going to take long time to grow slowly, agonizingly, sometimes slowly. And you know, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, you don't have to be a, a, a you know, rocket scientist, as they say, to understand that. Look at your life. How, how, does change happen overnight? Of course not. It's slow. Sometimes it's agonizing. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it takes years for us to see any transformation. And so when, we, when, we, when I was looking for the new year, I wanted to begin the year with these particular parables on the lost sheep. The lost sheep coin and the lost son the parable of the lost son which is really not the parable of the lost son but we'll talk about that in a few weeks what is lost what does it mean to be lost do you even know honestly think do you even know you're lost there's a smugness a pride and arrogance that so many of us have. In fact, there's nowhere where you see it more clearly than in church. People in church have a very unbelievably uh, robust self-righteousness. 
we look around and we measure everybody else by ourselves. And Jesus was surrounded with people like this. His church, His world, was so steeped in it that it is, even, it is hard even to imagine or describe. And I'm going to do my very best to help you think through it because this affects you and affects me. It's very easy for us to, to be self-satisfied in our own smugness and in our own self-righteousness. You know, a number of years ago, well, it's been a long time ago, shoot, Monty V and I are going to be 40 years married. We are going to celebrate our 40th anniversary this year. And uh, after, uh, you know, I, I had a whole career before I ever became a pastor, a whole life before I was a pastor. And I, I, had a, I owned a dental laboratory and we, we did castings and things like that. So I made jewelry on the side and I made Maudie V when we were young newlyweds. I made her her wedding ring. Isn't that sweet? Oh, come on. Oh. And, uh, and it was made out of very good gold. In fact, you can't buy ju- jewelry gold is junk compared to what I used. I used dental gold. It's pure, absolutely pure. 18 karat, real 18 karat, not what you buy in the store. Real good stuff. And I made this beautiful ring for her. And then I put fake stones in it because we didn't have any money. And uh, so for years, and she knew, and she was, you know, she wore it proudly, and you know, and everybody says, oh my gosh, you got those big diamonds. Yeah, aren't they really great? We all knew they were fake, you know. We did. Nobody else did. But I think it was our, I don't remember, I think it was our 15th or 16th anniversary, you know, she was kind of complaining about the ring, can we get, you know, I want a new ring. So we went out and we bought a ring. And back in those days, I owned my own business, I actually had a lot of money. Well, not a lot but I had more than I do now. And, uh, and so I bought, we went to a jewelry store, a guy made a custom ring, put in these amazing diamonds. They actually have a name, I can't remember the name, she can tell you. They're extremely expensive. Um, in fact, if I was a pastor and I bought that ring, I'd probably get fired. Because people would think, oh, you make too much money, you shouldn't be able to afford that kind of a ring. But back then, hey, I'm a businessman, I do whatever I want, right? And I bought her a really nice ring. It wasn't too long after that, she calls me. Well, no, she didn't call me from the parking lot. I think it was before cell phones. She told me I lost my ring. Where did you lose the ring? In the parking lot, Sunland Park Mall in Dillard's. I can't find it. So, like a good husband, I rushed over there and I scolded the daylights out of her for losing the ring and, you know, all of that. She's weeping and crying. Our kids were little. They're looking around everywhere. And we looked and we looked. She said, I know I had it when we came out, but not here now. We looked and we looked. We went everywhere. We went through the store, went through the parking lot, drove around the parking lot, walked around the parking lot. I got, and I was wearing a coat and tie, and I got into a dumpster and crawled around in the trash, pulled trash, was throwing trash out of this, you know, one of those big dumpsters you get, throwing trash out, looking like maybe it's in the trash, somehow got in the trash. We went to our house, we emptied the trash. Maybe she was wrong. Maybe it was not, maybe it wasn't at Dillard's at all. Maybe it was in our house, in the trash in the house. We emptied the trash. We looked everywhere for hours. We called people that we knew that actually believed in God and prayed. Would you please pray for us to find this ring? Oh, yes, we'll pray for you. So there were people praying. Couldn't find it. It's getting dark. Mati V's 
crying. I said, look, don't worry about it. I'll make you another ring and I'll put fake stones in it. Nobody will know. She gets in her car and as she's driving out of the parking lot, she happens to look down and there it is, sparkling up at her. She hopped out of the car. Of course, we wept and we cried. We called everybody we knew. What was lost? What was precious to her? What was precious to me? We found it. We found it. Open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 15 and read this familiar passage. Now I'm going to beg you again, as I do every time we read one of these familiar passages, try to look at it through a a different lens. Listen to what Jesus is really saying. Listen to what He's saying. Listen to the context. What's going on here? Why is He even bothering to tell this parable? Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and, and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So He told them this parable. Get the picture. They're coming. He's receiving these sinners and He's sitting down and eating with them. And they're, they're the, the, the church people, the religious people, the people that were raised in the church and are you know, pretty good folks, they're grumbling. How can He be around these people? How can He be seen with them? You with me? Alright. So He told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. There's a beautiful portrait in your bulletin by Tissot. I think his name's James Tissot. Of that very thing. Hugely popular in art. Christian art. Lays it on his shoulders and and takes it home and says, rejoicing. And when he gets there, he calls his friends and neighbors and says, come rejoice with me. I found the one that was lost. The 99, they're safe. I found the one that was lost. Just so, just like this, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who need no repentance. Or what woman of you, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so Jesus, the context is, he is there and he's in the house, and sinners and tax collectors are coming to him. These are the worst people. These are not the kind of people we want in our churches. We don't want them because they're just not all what we want. We don't, we're not comfortable with that. And don't say that you are because none of us are comfortable with that. Every one of us who's been a Christian for very long struggles with that. And you actually have to come to a place of true introspection and brokenness 
what the Puritans called the inner look. And that honest and inner look, if you really look and you see who you really are, as R.C. Sproul used to say over and over, the late Dr. Sproul, if you know who you are really, and you look and you know who God is, really, you will be undone. You will never look at God the same, and you will never look at others the same, and your life will change. And some of us go through this several times in our life. I have. I hope you have, and if you haven't, I hope this sermon will go down into the depths of your heart. Because these sermons, the lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost son, uh, go together. They form a unit. They were given, uh, according to Luke, all at one time. And so the sheep and the coin are about this. Listen carefully. Just pay attention for a second. Everyone, what Jesus is saying, he's, he's defending himself against the accusation, you're letting people come into your midst who are not like us, who are not good upstanding Christians, who are not good people. You're letting them come in here. And not only that, you are letting them eat with you. How dare you? I mean, what will people think? You with me? Nod, say yes. Okay, alright, just stick with me, hang with me. And Jesus says, look, we all are willing to search for things that are valuable. Everybody does that. And he gives two examples, sheep and coin. He says, when you find them, you rejoice, right? Right? And everybody, even the scribes and Pharisees, even those guys there who were grumbling would have said, hey, I get that, of course. I'd go out and look for a sheep if I lost one of my flock. I would go and look for a coin if I lost my coin, of course. Who wouldn't do that? And Jesus is brilliant. I've told you in his parables, this man, this man was something else. Well, he was God. But, I mean, he was amazing. Wouldn't anybody do that? Wouldn't you go out and look for it? If you lost it, wouldn't you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's saying yes, yes, yes. Then he leans in. And he says, but we're not talking about sheep and coins, are we? Are we? We're talking about people, aren't we? Now he's got their attention. What do you mean? Well, what do you mean people? Are we talking about people? He says, yeah, we're talking about people. Aren't they valuable too? And everybody would have said, here's what they would have said. Listen! They would have said, yes, but. Yeah? Yes, but. Yeah, they're, ah, yeah, people, yeah, people. Uh, But... And so Jesus says, okay, I get that, I get that. All right, let's get a little closer. Let's not go... I'm not going to talk to you about sheep. I'm not going to talk to you about coins. I'm going to talk to you about your lost child. Not just any lost child, the lost son. Now, in the ancient Near East... You're talking about the closest thing to, a, to anyone's heart that you can get. The lost son. That comes in the next few weeks. 
We're not talking about sheep. We're not talking about coins. We're talking about people. And okay, you want to say, yeah, but some people are not as good as other people and they sin and they do these things and we want to hold our nose and we're not too sure and look at how good I am. and You hear the conversation? Do any of you have that conversation? If you don't, you're not a human being. You're from Mars. You're from some other planet. We all have that conversation in our head. Every one of us, me, and I know more than anybody. And I even have that so, wow! But we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about our son, our child. That comes later. The rabbis had a saying. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Uh, an old, old commentator said this. I just found it in a commentary, but it's really something. Let not a man associate with the wicked. This was the idea of the religious people. In the church, we're talking church people, we're talking Pharisees and scribes, they were very good. They believed the Bible more than you do. Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him to the law. Don't even let them walk through the door. Don't even let them sit here in our assembly and hear the Word of God. We don't even want... They have to get out in the parking lot. They have to get worthy first. And then if they achieve a certain level of worthiness, then we will bring them the Holy Word, and then us holy people can rub shoulders with them. Yes? Are you with me? Can't have those people among us because... Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him to the law. Jesus' teaching was unique. Listen carefully. I'm going to run through this quickly, and we'll look at the, at the, the meaning of the parable. Jesus did not, did not, did not write this somewhere. I don't know where you write it. Write it on the palm of your hand, maybe. But write it down. Jesus never scolded anyone for their sin. Never. Except the good-going, church, thoroughly church-believing, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, He scolded them. He, he created, He woed them. He said, the judgment that's going to come on you is the worst judgment that anyone will endure. No one will judge. You're going to come and say, oh Lord, look at all the good we did and you're, look how good and how good. And He's going to say, I never knew you. The most horrible words in the Bible are, I never knew you. He never scolded anybody for their sins. He scolded them for their self-righteousness, for their self-justification, for their smugness. Not for their sin. But let me tell you, just right underneath where He didn't scold them for sin, let me tell you, write this underneath that. He never, not one time, ever told anyone it was okay to stay in their sin. He never said, oh, it's okay. I love you unconditionally. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. You can act however you want. You can sin all you want. Never, never scolded them for their sin. Never told them it was okay either. So don't anybody leave Christ. You know, oh, Chuck's an antinomian. He's all too much about grace. Grace means your love is not unconditional. Grace means your love is conditional. That you go in close, that you go in tight, that you embrace and pull, and that you go, you make the journey with people. That you will go down the road, that you'll get in their mess 
didn't Jesus get in your mess with you? Yes. Did He not get in your mess with you? You know, to lift you out of whatever mess you were in, I don't care what it was, to get you out. He did not get a crane and a hook and sit in the cab of that crane and let the thing down and get you out of the mud and then while you're hanging there, spray you off of the hose and then come and invite you in. How did He get you from where you were to this holy table with that holy bread and that holy wine? How did He get from there to here? He went there. He went and found you. He got dirty. He got bloody. As Joe said in class today, He got clothed with humanity. Every frail part. He was not Superman. He was human. He hurt. He agonized in pain. And somehow we have turned Jesus into a fable, a myth. And this parable will not let us do it. His teaching was unique. Why were they drawing near? Why? Because every human being, I don't care who they are, folks, everybody knows something off. Everybody knows something off. Have you ever opened your refrigerator and you go, something's off? Right? I mean, we know something's off in there. And if you do what the Puritans say and you take the inner law, uh, inner look, you say, you know, something's off. What do I do about it? Jesus spoke to that offness. He spoke to the offness. But what was so unique about his teaching was he also spoke not only about the offness, but he spoke about the dignity, the value, folks, the value of the sheep, the value of the coin. Two things that neither one of them even know they're lost and neither one of them could have found themselves. Now he is going to talk about the sons. He's going to talk about the lost son. And this is amazing when we get there. If you don't come back and hear the, the sermons on the lost, the prodigal son, uh, you, you know, I'm sorry for you. You've got to come and hear that. Because this is the beginning. We just don't have time to do it all. He says, yeah, there's something really off, but there's something also incredibly beautiful about you. Something amazingly valuable about you. And see, the problem is, we look around, we do not see the value in people. We don't. We measure, we decide who is worthy. We decide who we should be patient with, who we should be long-suffering, who we should help, who we should get dirty for. And Jesus didn't do that. He said, I'm going to come for the whole world. For everybody. And I'm going to get immensely dirty in doing it. One of the powerful aspects of this parable, the sheep don't know they're lost. And people that heard the parable, you, we, we think they didn't know they were lost. Yes, they did. They knew they were lost. Some years ago, uh, in our church, Christ the King, way back, first got here on Mesa Street, in our little building, our little suite. And uh, somebody came in visiting, first time. 
they saw one of our young girls in the church. And uh, she was, I don't remember, I won't mention her name, they are not here anymore, long gone. Uh, But she was probably in her teenage years, and she was dressed in black, and she had black all over, and she was into, you know, this thing. The goth, gothic, yes? You know what I'm talking about? That that look? Uh, Sweet girl, uh, wonderful girl. I still am friends with her on Facebook, and I love her to death. This couple came in, older couple, and... Hi, how are you? We're greeting. Tell us about Christ the King. We love our church. Oh, your church is so good. But what is she doing here? Well, your pastor said to this couple, she's mine. Okay. So, oh, they didn't say another word. She's mine. That's one of my girls. Would you do that? Would you say she's mine, he's mine? Do you know something? I don't know all your stories. I know my story. One day, one day, Jesus came into a black and dark place that I won't even tell you any of you about because you would no longer like me or respect me as your pastor. But one day, Jesus stepped into an indescribable place and time and He wrapped me, not in this robe, but in His arms and He told the cosmic universe, He's mine. I found what was lost. And I rejoice. And He dares you. He dares anybody to say, oh, they're not yours. Yeah, well, you're not talking to me anymore. You're talking to Him now. I'm His. I'm His. Blood bought. Blood owned. I'm his. He is mine. I have lost. I was lost. I found. I was blind. I see. I was dead. I'm alive. Now, now you're talking. Now you're talking. And that's what we see in these parables. We see the heart of God. Some grumbled. They didn't like him. They drew. Paradox, you know. There's this hard and bitter part of us, folks. Everybody. And there's this other part, this broken part. So very quickly, just five minutes, I'll do this fast. We, if we need to, I'll go back and, and look at Jesus was telling, what He was saying in the parable, to everybody, both Pharisees, scribes, and the lost, the prostitutes, and the sick. He's telling everybody that's listening, you are helplessly. You are hopelessly. You are lost. Someone has to come from outside. The shepherd or the wo- Somebody has got to come in and find you. Why? Because you're lost and you don't know that you're lost. You're lost and you have no power to find yourself. For goodness sakes, I mean the coin was an inanimate thing. Unless there was an earthquake, the coin would never have moved from that spot until now. 
right? It would still be exactly where it was. And if the sheep had found its way back, let's just say that by chance, the sheep had managed to find the flock it was separated from, it would have been dumb luck. Because sheep, when they get separated from the, from the flock, they just they lay down. This is, you can read it on the internet. That's where I found it. You, they just lay down and die. Okay? So, Jesus says, Hey, you're hopelessly and helplessly lost. But you have value to somebody outside who is going to come inside and find you. Look at verse 4 and look at verse 8. What man, I mean, he's asking a rhetorical question. Everybody knew the answer. What man having a hundred sheep if he loses one doesn't leave nine? What woman if she has ten coins and loses one doesn't have a light of lamp? Do the sweep the house? We don't search for what has no value. We don't. The sheep and the coin are unaware that they're lost, but they have value to someone. Now, maybe the sheep had no value to you. And the coin had no value to you. I understand there's things you lose that are they don't not valuable to me. But there are things that are valuable. So someone, they were valuable to someone. And listen, those people listening were not a bunch of dummies. The, the scribes and Pharisees in particular were brilliant. Religiously brilliant, philosophically brilliant. They were getting, they were tracking with him every second of the way. And what is remarkable is they were getting madder. If you read the story, they got so mad, they all had a council, they all came together and they said, what do we do? And one of them said, I know. I know what we have to do. we got to kill this guy. We can't let anybody talk like this. I mean, what will happen to our church? <gasps> what will happen to our church? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Please. Somebody told me the other day, just two weeks ago, someone said to me, uh, I, I, was tell, I was telling somebody about our men's group and how we used to go, do, you know, go to Casa Puro and smoke cigars. This has been two, three weeks ago. And this person said to me, weren't you afraid of your reputation or bringing uh, you know, bad Bad reputation. We would. I don't smoke anymore, by the way, because I've had two cancers. So my doc, my my oncologist told me if I ever touch tobacco again, that she will kill me. <laughs> I won't have to wait to die from a disease. She will kill me. So okay, no more tobacco for me. And besides, you know what? We talked a lot more about smoking than we really did. It was just fun thing we did. Some of the guys we'd go and we talk talk theology and puff on a cigar, then go home and be sick. And the person said to me, weren't you afraid of your reputation? And I said, honey, I, it, that was the last thing I'm worried about. I got no reputation. What about Jesus? Well, I don't know. He came and found me. That's his problem. That's his problem. He associated with me. I, have a, I would have left him alone. He should have left me alone. If he didn't want to be around me, he should have left me alone. Yes? Are you getting this? 
Why is He in your life today? Why? Why? Ask yourself. I don't know all of you. Why, why is Jesus Christ in your life today? Not because you're good. If He's in your life today because you're good, you're just a scribe and a Pharisee, right? If He's in your life today, it's because you needed to be found. You were lost. And you needed to be found. Now once He finds us, He starts dealing with our sins. And that's a whole other sermon, but we'll get to that. All right, let me finish and, and just listen. This is the very heart of Christianity, by the way. If you don't know that, you, you, just, not, you just don't know. This is the heart of Christianity. The very heart. This is the very center of the center of the universe of Christianity are these parables that Jesus taught. It is immensely important. So here, listen to what he says. The seeker, you see, he picked, he picked sheep and coins. Let me say this quickly. He picked sheep and coins because they are morally neutral. They had no culpability in their lostness. There was no blame ascribed. What does that mean? What that means is, there's not even the shred of an idea that they deserved finding other than, listen carefully, they did not have, there was not a shred of an idea that they deserved finding other than they were valuable to the one seeking them. If my phone, if I got a text message from Imad who was here last week and he's over in Zahli in Syria or in Lebanon and he calls me and says, Chuck, one of my dad's sheep is lost today. Will you please get on the airplane and come to Zahli and save my sheep? I would tell him no. Go to the butcher shop and get your own sheep. I'm not going anywhere for your sheep. It was valuable to somebody. Somebody went and looked for that sheep. And so the, the only the, the reason Jesus did this, he's a pure genius, folks. He says, they don't that thing has no value but to somebody. That's why it's being sought. That's why they're seeking. That's why they're looking. The seeker. There's no issue, does it deserve to be found? No. The issue is, is it valuable to someone else outside? And Jesus is saying, oh yes it is. And so the seeker is relentless. He doesn't just look around and say, ah, I'm going to look over here and see. No, he goes, he gets in the dumpster. He digs in the trash. He goes wherever he has to go. He tears the world upside down until he finds that one that's lost. Because it's, and he won't stop. Whatever it costs him, whatever time he has to spend, whatever we would have gone and gotten a metal detector if we hadn't have found it. We'd have done anything we could to go find what was lost. You with me? We would never have given up. Why? 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 The question is screaming off the page. Why? Because lost things can't find themselves. They don't have the power to do it. Now it's interesting, I'll give you a little heads up, just something to think about. He changes the story and he does apply moral culpability to the son. And we'll talk about that. Don't you want to come back and hear that? He applies, multiple, he applies moral culpability to that. He just kicks it up, way up into the stratosphere and says, oh yeah, there is moral culpability. But not with these two. So now listen. Jesus says, you're hopeless, you're helpless. How do you find true value? The shepherd goes and looks. He found it. 
he puts it on his shoulders, it says. And he rejoices and he calls and he tells his friends, I found what was lost. Come, rejoice with me. I found it. Now to them, the ones that were invited, the thing may not have had the same value. Are you with me? But to him it was the greatest thing, so he wants to share it with others. Oh, I found what was lost. Joy is never complete until you are sharing it with others. And you're saying, wow, I found what was lost. Isn't this great? And then to whatever degree you can enter into that rejoicing, you say, wow, it was great. You know, I lost a bag the other day. It was a, a, a canvas bag that I've had for many years. And I had some, some guns, handguns. That, that, in fact, I have one right now under my... No, I'm kidding. No, I had these handguns, and one of them was, it was a gun that belonged to my grandfather that was old, old, old gun. Very, it was, it's, I'll tell you what it is. Some of you guys, maybe some of you gals will know. 1911 Colt, 45, right? Army, you guys know? The military guys know what I'm talking about? 1911, okay. Probably from 1911. <laughs> this is how old this thing was. He was his, and he's, you know. I lost it. I lost the bag. I lost, there was other guns there. I couldn't find them. I called VJ. VJ, I've lost my gun. Oh, VJ, he couldn't believe Oh my gosh, I called this other friend of mine. I've lost my guns. I can't find them. Oh my God, how long have they been gone? Oh, a couple years. Before I got sick, last time I remember them. And Marty V and I turned the house upside down. We looked everywhere. I started suspecting people. I started suspecting some of you that came to my house at different times. And I'm looking, looking, looking. For, ye- for, for several years now I've been looking. The other day I'm in my closet. I had turned my closet upside down. I look up in my closet and there on the shelf in a big plastic, one of those storage bags that you put stuff in you want to keep for a long time without dust, I saw a black bag. I opened the black bag. There it is. Everything's there. Nobody sold it. None of you took it. And I rejoice. And what did I do, VJ? I mean, the, bing, I send, I'm sending texts out. I'm like, rejoice with me. Rejoice. Remember what I told you? I'm VJ and Bill, and I don't know who all I sent to, right? Some of you may have gotten that text. If you didn't, it's because I really don't like you. Uh, I, I sent this text out. I'm uh, Rejoice with me. I found it. I found it because we've been talking about it, trying to figure out where it went. Joy is not complete. Until it's joy. And it says in verse 10, there were joy. There's joy. Look at how it's worded. This is incredible. There is joy before the angels over one sinner who is repenting. Now when you read it, you think the angels are rejoicing, don't you? Say yes, because you do. Read it again. There was joy. Before them, they were watching. You know, joy is not just something that just hops up. Oh, look, there's joy. What were they seeing? What were those angels amazed at? Here's what they were rejoicing at. My personal favorite scripture In all of the Bible, I'm going to share it with you now, my favorite, the one I want on my tombstone. Sing aloud, 
O daughter of Zion, shout for joy. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgment. The Lord your God is in your midst. He came looking. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with singing, with shouts of joy. How in the world, my friends, how in the world are you ever going to, how are you going to find true value for yourself if you don't find it in the reflection of His face? How do we know this? Because if you look at verse 10, I'm going to read this for you. Listen carefully. This man, the accusation was, this man receives and eats with tax collectors and sinners. And in Greek, it's amazing. He says this, this man prosdekomai. This man prosdekomai. Prosopon is the face. This man is at the door of his house. Those of you that have been to my house, I'm Middle Eastern descent. Nobody's ever come into my house ever and not been greeted at my door. Those of you that have been to my house know. It would be a shame for me to invite me to, you to my house and not greet you at my door. And if I was there frowning at you, would you feel welcome? No, you are received by Mari V and I with a smile on our face. We bring you. We escort you to our table. We sit you down. We're smiling the whole time. We're feeding you. We're giving you food. We're glad you're there. We're delighted. We're overwhelmed with joy and happiness that you're there. That's what he's saying. This word receives is he's not sitting over there kind of waiting and, and you know, you walk in and he, oh yeah, come on in and, you know, sit here. No, no, no. He is there waiting. He's like the father in the parable we're going to look at. He's waiting, looking, expecting with, with expectation and joy and happiness. Come, come all ye that labor in heaven. I want to give you rest. Come into my presence. Oh, how are you going to find, how are you going to find yourself? You can't find. O daughter of Zion, He will rejoice over you with singing, with gladness, with shouts of joy. He will quiet you like a, with love. It's a lullaby. He's taking you in His arms and loving you. This is our shepherd. This is our king. Finds value in us. Gave up all His value. Died naked on a cross so that you and I could be valuable in His sight. Will you trust Him? I beg you, trust Him. Put your trust in Him. He'll find you. All right. Father, we love You. Wow. 
I would never have found myself, and I know there's probably everyone in this room knows the same. But we forget, we become hard-hearted, we forget we were lost and we have been found. We, f- we think we found ourselves. We think we found ourselves. But somewhere down the road, you moved heaven and earth to find us through your son Jesus. And once he found us, he stamped price, he stamped value, he stamped worth upon us by saying, this is how much they're worth. My life for theirs. My life for theirs. Now you know what your value is. Now we know what our value is. He has said, you are worth this much. Never doubt it. May we always trust you, Lord Jesus. Help us, we beg you. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us. Amen.